The game has changed. Welcome to the playing field, the battlefield, the boardroom, the matrix. I'm Aaron Bursiaga, your personal data scientist and AI engineer, coach, radio, podcast guy, talking with you and our guests on news, perspectives, ethics, and aspirations with career advice from leaders in science, technology, engineering, and math. STEM. Tune in, strap in, and step up. It's the Brainstem Show. We live deeper by the day in a universe driven by monetized, weaponized, and democratized data, technology, and human hybrid systems. You are part of what we do with and about it. Welcome to the Brainstem Show. So welcome to today's Brainstem Show. This is show 19 TAC 1, and I'll be having a conversation with Andrew Musselman. He is the Chief Analytics Officer at analytics to go and host of a podcast, Congenial Learning. Andrew, welcome to the show. Yeah, that's not, that's not the name of it. it, it, it <laughs> Don't worry, Andrew. I, I misintroduce every guest intentionally. Oh, so what's not the name of what? Not the name of you? Not the name of who you work for? Not the name of your podcast? Explain. Oh, uh, the podcast is actually called Adversarial Learning. I think... Um, I think you knew that, but uh, it it's meant to capture uh, you know the the tone of uh, of my podcast hosts and my uh, communication style and relationship, and um, it's meant to be a place where people can come uh, talk about what they wish they could see better in the world and things like that. So, but you had everything else right. Oh, no, that's awesome. Yeah. That's actually. <laughs> That's actually why I went there first, Andrew. I really wanted to, to hear a little bit more about adversarial learning, your co-host. So uh, let's go there first a little bit. I think it's something that other folks might enjoy tuning into. Certainly talks and gives some background to where you are and where you've been, where you are today, where you've been from. Yeah, it's a fun one um, for us. I mean, you know, Joel and I both have a rule that we don't listen to podcasts um, uh, generally. So we, we are happy to produce a podcast, but we don't tend to consume them. Uh, and we got the idea, I think, because we were in um, in a uh, community, a data science community, online community, and uh, people were enjoying hearing us argue about things and argue with other people about things. And I don't know whose idea it was, but uh, somebody said we should start a podcast. You know, the old the, the old cliche, and we actually did. And we've been a bit on hiatus because uh, work demands and family demands. But we are lining up our next uh, next guest now. So if Anybody out there has any suggestions for somebody who's interesting, we are all ears. You guys are a great Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> hopefully I, I'm not your foil, but hopefully I am your second favorite podcast. You know what? You're, you're my favorite podcast that I've been on today. <laughs> Thanks. Andrew, uh, you know, in your business, you're building uh, what I figure is an uber-specialized uh, analytics uh, offering, and you're pushing it out a little bit differently. Tell us about that. Yeah, we are. Uh, I think what, what makes what we're doing different is, um, is what we thought about doing was <clears throat> we looked at the landscape for analytics and for data solutions. Um, and we, we saw having you know, been experienced uh, and, and been involved in lots of projects and lots of initiatives um, that lots of projects sort of go into into uh, development only to die um, for for lots of reasons uh, but but um, some of the reasons being that the 
um, the goals and aims are are either too big for what's uh, able to be done in the amount of time or um, you know the the things that people are looking at aren't aren't actually important to the business or <clears throat> people do work um, in a prototype phase or a pilot phase and then uh, they might have good results but you know being able to push that stuff out to where it's actually useful and is actually affecting people's behavior and improving conditions across the board for whatever it's supposed to do um, is too time consuming or uh, cost prohibitive and so really good work just sort of goes by the wayside so um, I guess a year and a half ago or so uh, Mike uh, our CEO um, started talking with a few folks and um, I joined last year and what we figured was going to be valuable was putting in front of people the option to I hope it's not a trademark violation but uh, sign into something like QuickBooks for Analytics where you can log in upload your own company's data uh, do some do some work with it use some off-the-shelf applications and start to see results start to see trends over time and be able to make decisions quicker um, so that's what we're building. So, and so right there, that sounds really uh, some some four points you you lined out for us yeah. there was cost, finishing, focus, and scope. So how are you constraining the scope, and, and and really what's different about the finishing, about the product you're turning out? Well, the um, the product is actually just something that is finished. So um, it's a it's it's something that a customer can sign into and use the apps that are already built there. Uh, we are building them on. Um, you know, in parallel with customer projects. So we are continuing to be informed by market drip, market, market needs and what people are finding they're having trouble with and what we're, what we're seeing we're able to solve in a way that's, uh, that's generalizable for uh, multiple customers across different industries and in some cases uh, across industries too. There's lots of places where yeah, those yeah. So, so you're making it you're making it very consumable. You're you're developing uh, uh, an analytics product, and you know I, I remember reading recently. I think uh, you and I might have shared the article that it's been said that uh, people aren't buying products, but they're buying better versions of themselves. And I think Pepsi, Apple, Starbucks, and Samsung were subject of that expose. Uh, recently posted in Medium. So how do you think, you know, that axiom that people don't buy products, they buy better versions of themselves applies to your developing a product? Uh, I guess one way to look at it is, uh, uh, you know, another another thing that we wanted to avoid doing was trying to do too much with, uh, with, the, with, the, with the software. So, you know, a lot of times when engineers set out to build things, uh, we look at the problem and, and we say, well, you know what, I bet, it, I bet it wouldn't be too hard to solve that whole problem. I'll just write a program and do it. Um, but, you know, most of the time getting down the road, uh, people realize that, um, you can't, that, that solving for all cases and all contingencies uh, becomes really complex and managing those, those complexities can, be, can just destroy the utility of a project, pro- product. So what our goal is, um, is to get people down the road far enough and quick enough so that making the final decision is quicker. And so we don't take the human out of the loop, but we do hopefully get the human to where they can make decisions. There can be some automated uh, decisions that happen, but um, I guess, you know, get, get people most of the way. And then the, the last, the last mile is done by a human, but not, you know, taking, taking all the tedious uh, grunt work out of it basically and being able to run, so you're, you know, thousands of scenarios at once. Yeah. You've really pointed to, uh, 
multiple examples or probably experiences in your life where AI projects have failed. So let me ask you, why do so many projects fail and why do people especially conflate AI with deep learning, with machine learning, with automation? Um, so that was two questions. One is why do so many projects fail? That's one. Yeah, why do you think that's been the case? Um, well, I think I touched on some of it, but um, projects fail when they um, they don't have the support and they, I mean, first of all, sometimes they don't get started because they don't have support, they don't have funding. Um, they can also get, they get killed because they are not making the apparent progress that they needed to or they aren't making the progress. Um, I think a lot of projects just... So then, then that kind of ties back to what you said earlier, the support, yeah. the progress, scope, focus, finishing, and cost. Mm -hmm. And making sure you're looking at the right thing, uh, making sure that what you're doing is... Um, I mean, a lot of times it, what, what these things come down to is how can you sum up this business into um, adding some things and then dividing by something else. Um, and I think it's been joked about Monica Rigatti. I think her joke from years ago was the most powerful data science algorithm is the division symbol. Um, and I think it's not even, it's not, it's not a joke. It's, it's a real thing. It's uh, most, most of these projects, especially when they're working at scale, the challenge is just getting to the point where you can get the right numbers summed up and then divide by the right number. Um, so counting at scale. So that really kind of gets to my second question. Yeah. Why, why are people conflating what would be rather simple math basic analytics with AI, deep learning, machine learning, automation? I think sales and marketing have something to do with it. I think um, there's, you know, a lot of a lot of vendors and companies have been incented to uh, adopt the new language just to just to make it seem like they have table stakes in the new environment. Um, you know, I mean, I, I could go on and on about um, about sort of the not I, I, it's not the, uh, the 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 men with the elephant trying to figure out what they're what they're looking at, but um, you know that's <laughs> that's, that's right. part of it. But also the uh, the sort of cargo cult mentality that people often get into, and I I mean no I'm no I'm no stranger to it. You know, being able to say the same thing as your customer as your competitor is often something that your people are demanded to do. So um, it's sort of a natural. Yeah. So I think you and I have both heard and said the same thing. Considerable success comes from simple analytics. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a concise format, but you know, doing something doing something simple well is way better than doing nothing or doing a lot poorly. You know. Well, let's take a quick break here and and go into a new segment. Andrew, you're going to be oh, uh, yes, the segments. first contestant in something we call Charlie. Cue the music. <laughs> Nerd combat. So I'll pose the question of a local friendly neighborhood skeptic. They may or may not be informed. And you'll have 90 seconds to respond. Our skeptic will give a 15-second counterpoint, and then you'll have 30 seconds for final rebuttal, okay? Sure. Who's the skeptic? <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Ready? Sure. All right, fight. Two words. Sequel sucks. Convince the skeptic they're wrong. Can I take the other side first? Um... It, You've got 90 seconds. Oh, I mean, is the clock started? Uh, SQL is, yeah. uh, so I would say if you want to be able to move from project to project and job to job and um, be flexible on almost any uh, any platform you're working on, SQL would be, would be a good choice. Um, 
I happen to love it, so I'm coming from a place of uh, I may be overlooking some of its flaws. Um, I would say some of the flaws you might be talking about are the fact that you can get on one SQL system and have a very different dialect than another one, one you're used to. Um, I would argue that uh, the differences are minor and they can be overcome. Um, to case in point, I'm learning SQL Server uh, syntax uh, here and there. Um, it's not that hard, guys. Um, and I would say, you know, it works on Spark, it works on Hadoop, um, works on any any number of tools. Everybody's putting that into their into their toolbox because they realize that I am actually right and you are wrong. Is that ninety seconds? All right, you've got another thirty seconds. Do you want another thirty? Ah, oh, man, oh man. Uh, I would say the only thing better than SQL is uh, Apache Pig for data flows. If you want to be able to describe what you're doing to the data in a in a colloquial way and uh, readable way uh, that works with uh, exactly you know maybe 25 brains in the world you should choose pig um, but SQL is good for what it's supposed to do um, I mean if you can't do something just wrap it in another select statement that's that's my advice to you is that some more time okay so here here comes a skeptic again we haven't decided if Charlie's going to like skew my voice here but the skeptic says Great, it's flexible, interoperable, and quickly learned, but it doesn't scale. Enterprise operations and data management just can't be done with SQL on that size. Your thoughts? Back in thirty seconds. I've seen it done. Rebuttal. I've seen it done. I've seen uh, I've seen people <clears throat> put a specific business rule in a in its own file, and I've seen you know I've seen people open up their their folders full of seven thousand business rules, and it it's not it's not maintainable. Uh, I would argue that you can get there with any with any tool. You can get there with any code. Um, yes, it does lack unit testing. It does lack integration testing. There are a lot of things that it does not have going for it. Um, but I would, uh, I guess, uh, could, am I allowed to challenge? Uh, what What are we talking about that's uh, better than SQL? Time. Without going down the rabbit holes too long on what's better than SQL or whatever, I would say you are a worthy opponent to our skeptic. Gonna win. Good points. All right. <laughs> Let's go off on some more on some more fun Let's things. Let's do Linux Andrew, versus Windows uh, now. <laughs> off on another tangent. Uh, read any good books lately, and what would you recommend to the audience? Oh, I've uh, I've been on a jag uh, reading spy novels this year, so I uh, I've actually worked my way almost all the way through Jean Le Carré's novels. Um, I think my favorites are the spot the, the the Smiley, the George Smiley novels. I I like uh, I like uh, how he depicts the sort of everyday boring nature of what they do and um, captures a lot of the just how a lot of that work is just you know solid paperwork and following up and keeping on top of facts. In, in one of my favorite interviews, I asked a guest the same similar question, and uh, his response back to me was Charlotte's Web. Okay. And I thought that was interesting to how he related Charlotte's Web back into his daily life. I would say you also gave a pretty interesting response there. So how do those novels uh, uh, equate or relate back to how you think or operate in, uh, in data science? I'm not sure they do. I don't believe that fiction has to inform our work life necessarily directly. Um, but I would say that it is fun to read about people trying to 
be as careful and precise and uh, do the best they can. And then, you know, sometimes things don't work out they, as they expect. And watching how the novelist wrote that contingency in is, is really fun. Um, there's a couple Perfect, of, Andrew, and that's, keep going, go ahead. Well, there's a couple of endings in his novels that are very unsatisfying, uh, but all in all, I, I really do enjoy them. And that's actually a perfect segue in today's quote quiz. So it's not a STEM show without space and pop culture. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have a little bit of a quote quiz, and I'm going to ask you to name the person or character quoted coming from history or Hollywood. Okay. <clears throat> history or Hollywood. History or Hollywood. Okay. The character, the actor, or, or even the show or the event. Okay. Here it is. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied Jurassic Park. with whether or not they could... <laughs> They didn't stop to think if they should. Jurassic Park. That's right. Who was it? Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum playing Dr. Ian Malcolm to John Hammond, the or uh, the fellow played by Sir Richard Attenborough. That's right. So yeah, I think you and I might have talked about this a little bit. So slow jam on that with me just a little bit. What parallels do you hear? How can we see ourselves as professionals in STEM in that quote? Oh, there's a few tacks you could take. Um, I think uh, what was that? What was that um, massive spying uh, spying program that the U.S. government implemented? Prism, or if you take the Prism program, which was um, it seemed like um, a funnel that took in all telecommunications, a lot of wire communications. Um, and allowed the U.S. government to look at what people were saying to each other, um, capturing innocent civilians right and left. Um, that, to me, a lot of people took it as a really sinister, coordinated effort by, you know, the state to surveil its own citizens. And I think that was probably inaccurate. And I think probably what happened was a project manager said over the course of several years, you know, if only we had more data, we could get you some better answers and some faster insights. Um, and I think everybody's sort of everybody's heard something like that if they've been doing any work with data in the enterprise. Um, people always say, "Well, if we if we could just get more," and sometimes it's true, and often it is true. Often, if you are running a model, you you know, if you have more historical data and you have more information about seasonality, you'll get a better answer. For instance, but that was an example of you know somebody who I think just kept saying, "Just give us more," and they were able to, and they they never. Nobody ever said, "Hey, what if? What about not doing that?" You know, um, kind of like you know. It, no, that's a great point. Yeah, that was that was definitely the the prison program, and I think you make good points and parallels back to uh, back to Jurassic Park <laughs> of all things. So, uh, it's a new year. What are you going to start, stop, or do differently as a, as a data scientist, as a as a leader, as a uh, as someone who folks go to for their own education and career advice? What what would you suggest be those things that you or they start, stop, or do differently? Uh, I think um, on a sort of a prosaic level, more of a day-to-day, getting my, you know, keeping my day organized and making as much progress as I can. I, I, I want to look at how I spend my time and see how I can spend it better. Uh, I know there's a lot of distractions out there, and I'm, I'm, I fall into traps. I fall into... Um, you know, getting worried about the wrong things, getting worried about things that I should be letting someone else deal with. Um, comes back to 
paying attention too much to the news. I don't do that as much as I used to. I've been way happier for that. Um, and I would say similarly with uh, tools and technology, I've also taken more of a uh, slow approach on adopting new things and you know keeping keeping track of things but I mean with the pace for instance that Amazon puts stuff out I can't keep track of what's what services there are on Amazon anymore I mean AWS there's probably 12 things in the last two years I don't know about um, and that's okay uh, a lot of the work that I personally do is still exploratory analysis with um, at the command line using bash or python and uh you know using command line tools and just looking at stuff by hand you know so. it's it's so true about what you said about uh worrying about the right things yeah. i think that's something that you said you were going to do differently this year i think i've learned that too that uh you know 10 years ago uh there were a handful of tools or specialties and i felt like i could be the uh, the master of almost all of them but the proliferation and like you said the releases from amazon and google and others uh there's just too many now yeah. right so uh, you have to be kinder to yourself and, and how you uh, can expect to, to compare yourself to others. Well, awesome. Um, one last question real quick be- before we, we let out. Um, what do you think are the, the greatest challenges as well as the greatest opportunities uh, that you have and professionals like you have over the next uh, few years in our profession? Uh, I think same as, same as it has been for the last 10 years in my view. Um, uh, when when people look at data science, I think uh, there's a lot of mismatches as far as what people think, uh, how people think the work happens and how it should happen. And um, there's a lot of opportunity for people to um, to help people who do analysis and uh, you know data engineering and data science to organize their work, keep track of results. Um, uh, and there are tools out there. I'm not saying it's not been built, but um, there's a lot of room still. Um, you know, let's say you have data from 2015, and the way the logging changed, uh, the way the logging was done changed in 2016. You need to do a manual process to map that over now. If if I had a dashboard that just let me say, oh no, this is uh, version two of the Apache HTTP log- logging system uh, or whatever, um, and these fields are reorganized, and this is why, and just hit a button and have that go. That'd be great, and if I bring in new features, I can tag the test uh, test data set with with that uh, with that fact and line that up, and then do the same thing with uh, with scoring and production. I think that kind of stuff would would help people. Um, but I think there's still room for a lot of people just to do their own their own versions of that. Um, so I'm, I'm I think that would help. I'm not sure there's there's anybody really solving that completely now. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the perspective you have about being a very big tent data scientist. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't think we need to be so orthodox or so exclusionary. <laughs> and uh, I see that in the work and you do and what you put out there. So awesome. Andrew, where can we find more information about you and your doings? Oh, you can find me on <clears throat> the website Twitter at uh, AKM is my handle there. Uh, you can find me on the amateur radio uh, social network called QRZ.com. Um, uh, the URL would be qrz.com uh, slash db slash ki7kqa. Um, aside from that, anytime you come out to Seattle, let me know on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can get in touch with me through the show. Um, I'm happy to get together and have coffee and chat. Yeah, definitely we'll have you back, Andrew, and uh, we'll have to have you talk more about uh, your ham radio skills <laughs> and uh, 
and adversarial learning as well. Sure, we should get Anyways, that's the time we have for today. Yeah, well, well thanks, Aaron. Uh, it's been great to be here. Special thanks to WERA 96.7 FM, Charlie Ross, our audio engineer, Cindy Gern, our producer. I'm Aaron Bursiaga. The game has changed, so tune in again next time to The Brainstem Show. <laughs>